Hello and welcome to Learn to Pray podcast. It's the podcast where we talk about how to pray, what to pray, when to pray, where to pray, and why we pray. Our host, Pastor Teacher Arthur Taryn V. Gaddis, has dedicated his life to helping individuals understand the great importance of prayer and how we are commanded to pray. And if we are to live our lives according to his will, his way and his word, that is God's will, God's way and God's word, then we must fall down on our knees and make prayer a priority in our lives. Lean in and listen closely as on this week's episode we talk about Forgive Us Our Debts. Hello everybody. Welcome to Learn to Pray. I'm your host, pastor, teacher, and author, Taryn Gaddis. You know, as we continue to move into this model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, we find ourselves at verse 12. I'm going to begin to read at verse 9 and well, in our reading at verse 12 of Matthew chapter 6, beginning of verse 9. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debt, verse 12, and forgive us our debts, verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I realize that just reading this verse makes some people a bit uneasy uh, because no one likes to talk about the matter of forgiveness and forgiving others. No one wants to talk about the matter of sin, but I hope that you will keep your hearts open to the voice of the Holy Spirit as he speaks to us through this verse. Now, let me quickly say, ladies and gentlemen, that it is while it is true that we have been saved by God's good grace, and adopted into his family, it is likewise true that we all have a problem with sin. Our Heavenly Father is perfect, but his children, you and I, are a bit dysfunctional at best. As we've studied various aspects of this prayer, the model prayer, I hope that we have learned the truth that this is a family prayer. I call your attention back to verse 9, the first thing that we were taught here in is to pray in uh, to pray is that we call on the name of our Heavenly Father everything we have been taught to pray is to be prayed within the context of our family relationship with the Lord notice the pronouns that make up the text of this prayer not a single one of them is a, not a single one of them is singular in nature. We're taught to pray, "Our Father." Uh, look at verse nine: "Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us 
this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. All the things, ladies and gentlemen, that we are talking to uh, all along while we're talking to the Lord about our relationship with him, we're talking to him as a member of his family. And even when we come to this verse that deals with our sin, we are still praying as members of God's family. This should give us some encouragement, shouldn't it? As we move into the area of that which pains every single one of us. With that in mind, let's take a few moments to look at the verse. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Why is this important, Pastor? It's important because our prayer lives and the reality of his presence, God's presence in our lives and the closeness and the power in our fellowship rests on how well we deal with the sin problem, both vertically and horizontally. Vertically between us and God and horizontally between us and our brothers and sisters. When you and I pray this prayer, we are confessing before the Lord that we have a sin problem. This is a, a truth that, that many believers have trouble with, but the fact is we, we may be saved, but we can and still sin. This sad fact is made plain in two verses in 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 and then 1 John chapter 1 verse 10. In 1 John chapter 1 verse 8, God's word says this, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not, not in us. Verse 10 of the same book and chapter says, if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar and God's word is not in us. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to need a clear consciousness of our sins. Far too many believers act as though they think sin is something that happens in the lives of others and not them. And as a result, they go to the altar to pray. They they never go to the altar to pray. They, they never confess their wrongdoings. They never uh, confess their shortcomings. They never go to another, another believer and say, I'm sorry, I, I hurt you or I wronged you. It never happens because they are unaware of their own sin. But when we become aware of sin and we understand that, and we become aware of how sinful we are at times, we're able to go to the altar and pray right. We're able to go and confess to God the wrong that we knew that we were doing wrong and the wrong that we did not even know that was wrong. Uh, to, to, to watch many believers conduct themselves and to hear them talk about themselves, you would think that they were perfect. 
But by the way, every single individual should have a constant growing hatred of the sin that exists in his or her life. Romans chapter 7 verse 21 to 24 says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But you know what? Most believers look over their own sins and failures and never seem to have a need to deal with them before the Lord Jesus. When it reaches this place in our lives, there is a serious problem. One thing is sure, we all have a problem with sin in our lives, whether we admit it or not, and we all need help in dealing with that problem. It is also true that if I am going to ever get the help I need in dealing with my sin problem, then I am going to have to admit my guilt before God. Our text uses the word debt to refer to our sin. What was finished at the cross of Jesus as he hung between heaven and hell, it was the debt's of sin that man could not and was unable to pay by uh, that could was unable to be paid by you or I we, we could not pay this debt because the one number one we could not pay this debt because the one you and I owed the debt to is holy and perfect thus we could not pay. Everybody don't believe that. Some think that they can be good enough or give enough or come enough or read enough or serve enough or cry enough or worship enough. Our text uses the word debt to refer to our sins. This is one of five words that is used in the New Testament for sin. Allow me to share those words and uh, and a few scriptures that will help you in your to further study this particular topic. In Romans chapter three, verse twenty-three, and Luke chapter fifteen, verse twenty-one, this particular word "sinned" is used several times in the New Testament, and it carries with it the idea of missing the mark. Romans chapter three, verse twenty-three, and Luke chapter fifteen. Verse 21, another word that the New Testament uses is the word offense or trespasses. In the New Testament, it carries the idea of slipping or falling. It refers to sin that results from carelessness instead of intentionally disobeying God. Two scriptures, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 and Colossians chapter 3 verse 13. And then there is not only the word sin, missing the mark, the word 
offense or trespasses, meaning slipping or falling. There's the word that is translated transgresses. Transgresses. It it refers to an intentional crossing of boundaries established by God in his word. This is uh, far more conscious sin than either of the other two. In James chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So we have the word sin missing the mark. We have the word offense or trespasses, which is the, uh, slipping or falling. Then transgression, which is intentionally crossing the boundary, establishing God's word. And then there is the word iniquity. This literally means without the law or lawlessness. It refers to a, a high-handed sin that is committed without regard to what God has to say about the matter. Two verses, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, and Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, and Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. So we have uh, the word sin, missing the mark. We have uh, offense, which is to the slip or the fall. We have transgression, which is intentionally crossing the boundaries. We have iniquities uh, without the law or lawlessness. And then we have the word debt, debtors or alt. Uh, it refers to something that is owed to another party. Here Jesus says that our sin is like a debt owed to God and to our fellow men. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, our text that is before us today, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. When the Lord calls our sin debts, he is reminding us that when we sin, we owe him something. Why is this true? When you and I sin, it requires that we use our bodies, we use our minds, or we use both our bodies and our minds. And the Bible is clear when it teaches us that both our bodies and our minds and our spirits belong to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, Or do you not know that your bodies is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You see, when the, when the Lord redeemed us, he brought us out completely. If you are saved, the Lord owns your life. And therefore, when we use our bodies to commit sin, we are indebted to the Lord because we have used his property for our own purpose. When I see, uh, when I see and and am made aware of sin I, I carry within my own heart, then the only recourse I have is to confess my guilt before the Lord so the healing and the cleansing process can begin in my life. Until you and I come clean before the Lord, we cannot be cleansed by the Lord. One more time, until you and I come clean before the Lord. You and I cannot be cleansed by the Lord. So when we pray, uh, when we when 
I pray and forgive us our debt. I'm confessing to the Lord that I have a problem with sin in my life and that I am aware of the fact that I owe God a debt that I cannot pay on my own. Uh, that 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 is that that is literally the the idea behind this verse. We owe a debt that you and I cannot pay. And so, if we're going to uh, uh, deal with this in the in, in the in the in relationship to our prayers, our prayer of forgiveness must include confession. But then there's something else. Our prayer. Of forgiveness must include a cry, a cry. Um, if my greatest problem is sin, then my greatest need is for forgiveness. One more time. If our greatest problem is our sin, if our greatest problem is sin, then our greatest need is for what? Forgiveness. Now, when we raise the issue of forgiveness, Somebody will always say, but I'm saved. Am I not already forgiven for all my sins? To which I always answer. The answer to the question is both yes and no. Many of us believe God, a God for our salvation from hell, but we don't seem to have a deep friendship with God in everyday life. We, we may have, by faith in Christ, uh, Christ's work, been justified and made one of God's children, but we still struggle with sin. Sometimes we obey God with a pure heart, but other times we live in open rebellion against God. So sometimes we walk by faith, don't we? But other times we walk by the flesh. Many times we walk by faith, but many times, most times we walk by sight. Sometimes we walk in fellowship with the Savior, but other times we walk in league with Satan. Well, what does that mean, Pastor G? Does it indicate that we aren't actually saved? Does it mean that we've missed something in the gospel? After all, our lives don't always line up and it should and shouldn't we be fully surrendered to our Lord if we are to be Christians. The reality of sin in a Christian life does not point to a false profession of faith. It indicates the fact that there is a difference between positional truth or positional fellowship and everyday earthly practical truth or practical fellowship. So there's a difference between positional fellowship and practical fellowship. Let me walk you through that. What, what, what is positional? What is the positional truth? What is the uh, uh, positional truth of our fellowship with God? Positionally, positional truth encompass those facts which are eternally set in stone when it comes to my position before God. One more time. Positional truth encompasses those facts which are eternally set in stone, which 
It comes from my position before God. Positional truth speaks of my standing before God that can never be changed. Positionally, truth, the positional truth says, once I place my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, certain facts become true of me forever. Example of positional truth. We have only to run to the word to find out what all this positional truth is all about. Let me share some scriptures with you. Ephesians chapter one, verse five says he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. In other words, we are now adopted and become children of God. That is a positional truth. First John chapter three, verse one says, see what kind of love the father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Positional truth says we are now adopted and have become children of God. But positional truth goes a little bit further because Ephesians chapter one, verse 13 and 14 says in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14 who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire uh, possession of it to the praise and glory of God. Positional truth says this, that we receive and are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Positional truth also says that we are immediately hidden in Christ and become identified, identified with his death, burial, and resurrection. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into death? We were buried and therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. That is the that is the positional truth of our fellowship with God. We have become set apart as God's people. We have, we have become part of God's church. These are just a few examples of what, what becoming, what becomes truth and true of us at the moment of our salvation. But positional truth is unchanging and uncertain. It brings I mean, unchanging and certain.
It brings security. It brings identification. We are identified with Christ. We are identified as God's children. We are identified as God's sheep. We are identified as God's branches. We are identified as part of God's family. Positional truth says when we are saved, we are completely justified by God. We are declared righteous by God and we are given perfect standing by God. This is clear throughout all the the, 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 the teaching of the New Testament. That's our positional standing with God. It defines our relationship to the Lord and it can never be altered. As far as God is concerned, the child of God is righteous. He is perfect. He is free from the taint uh, of being tainted of sin. This is the glorious truth, the positional truth. And it is one that needs to be embraced by the church. That's the positional truth in God. But every day there is a earthly practical truth. There's an eternal positional truth. But then on the other hand, there is the earthly practical truth that speaks of that you and I sin on a daily basis. So since we looked at the eternal positional truth, let's look at the earthly practical truth. Uh, it just simply says, on one hand, um, it can change from day to day. My intimacy, my fellowship, my walk with God, it can change. It can fluctuate uh, consistently. Sometimes I'm walking by faith and keeping my eyes on him. Other times I'm trying to live life in my own strength and in our sin. Sometimes I'm engaged in the friendship with him and other times I ignore and rebel against him. Like any human friendship, our connection can be either damaged or encouraged depending upon our attitude and actions. The word practical fellowship or practical truth may seem like a big term, but they are easily uh, distinguishable in human relationships. I'm, I'm my father's son. Uh, nothing either he or I can do or say or desire can change the fact that I am genetically connected to my father. It's, a, it's set in stone. Our, our friendship, however, can be a different story. We can be exchanged, exchanged. Uh, uh, we can be best friends. We can see each other on a daily basis or we can see each other once every couple of years. We can argue and we can enjoy each other's company. I, I will always be uh, his, his son, but our friendship may change and go through seasons throughout the year, uh, throughout the years. The, that's the practical fellowship. We, we may be in a permanent relationship with God that can never be affected by sin, but our walk with him can. Our daily fellowship with him can certainly be damaged by sin in our lives. 
Isaiah 59 and 2, one, one verse here. But, I, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Simply stated, our relationship with God through Jesus Christ is eternal and stands solely upon his grace. It cannot be affected by anything internal or external, but it is a perfect, permanent relationship that can never be severed. However, our fellowship with God is temporary in nature and hinges upon obedience. Hear me. It hinges upon obedience to him and our willingness to walk with him. This is the clear teaching of 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. Stay tuned next week as we continue the discussion of Forgive Us Our Debts from the Model Prayer.